Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Fostoria Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing, this podcast is available to you. And so we continue on the Aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fostoria Baptist Church. A scripture reading, 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 to 16. 1 Timothy is Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, talking about how he needs to pay attention to certain things. He particularly in this passage talks about giving attendance to reading the exhortation to doctrine, from which we understand the public reading of scripture, the preaching of the word, and any general teaching. He also is told to pay attention to the gift, giving himself to them so that, as the King James says, thy profiting, or as most translations would say, thy progress may appear to all. And so there is a constant vigilance of taking heed unto ourselves and the teaching and the doctrine, continuing within them all the time. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You can turn back with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verse 13. This is where we have come as we've gone straight through the text of Matthew. Up to this text, the woes of Matthew 23. Woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. We saw the introductory material Jesus speaks to the multitudes and the disciples, talks about the Pharisees and how they are people pleasers, how they put heavy burdens upon people's back and won't help, and how they don't practice what they preach, and he calls his disciples to be different. He calls us to recognize that Jesus is our everything. Without him, we are nothing. And so to humbly serve, humbly recognize where we are. 
Our text today is Matthew 23, 13, and verse 15. If you're reading in a modern translation, you probably don't have Matthew 23, 14 to begin with. It can be a little bit interesting and difficult, but the reality seems to be that Matthew didn't include Matthew 23, 14. But that it was included because of its presence in Mark 12, 40 and Luke 20, 47. So while it is then part of scripture, it's not part of this scripture. So we're looking at Matthew's first two woes, the doors uh, in verse 13 and verse 15. And as we talked about and hinted at last week, this is going to hurt. It's not going to be easy for any of us. But hopefully it hurts in such a way that hurts us to Christ. Hopefully it hurts us in the right way to see his beauty and supremacy. And to cause us to grow in our love for him. Matthew 23, 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Father, we thank you for all that you have done, and we thank you for providing your word to us today. We ask, Lord, that we would properly understand it, and that by your spirits we would rejoice in it and submit to it. Lord, Help us to understand what Jesus is saying to us and not what any mere human is saying. Help us to respond in thinking through this reality of pharisaical attitudes and whichever small portion of that pharisaism is in our hearts, may we confront it today. May the Spirit convict us of it today. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a cliched story that shows up a couple different times. It's a sports story. 
particularly a sports story of soccer or basketball. Got a basketball player, we'll say, super excited, gets the ball, goes down the court and throws it in the hoop, jumping up and down, super excited about what he did, only to see points get added to the other side. So it didn't matter how good of a shot it was when he was shooting for the wrong. That's kind of where the Pharisees are. As Jesus is talking to them in these two woes. They have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of intentionality and fervency. They have a lot of passion. But they think that that passion is serving the team of God, the team of heaven. And in reality, it's serving the team of hell. It's a passion, fervency, and zeal that's misguided. And as it's misguided, it ends up being harmful rather than the helpfulness they were hoping for, the helpfulness they were vowing. You know, it's possible for the same thing to be true of professing Christians today. That we can do things that we think are helpful, that are passionate and zealous about, but ultimately cause harm. I think that it's incredibly possible that just like the Pharisees, we can have such zeal in our proselytization or as we would call it, evangelism. They wouldn't have had that term because they didn't have the gospel. They didn't have the evangel good news. We actually end up doing harm. Rich Mullins explains it in an annoyingly catchy song. But it don't do to preach the gospel if you don't live the Christian life. Comes down to the point that if we aren't willing to bear the cross of Christ, we should probably stop speaking about him. The text today still pushes us to something that has been pushed through through a lot of the conflict with the Pharisees. A question about the ultimate responsibility that we have as Christians, as disciples of Christ. And it comes down to loving. It comes down to loving, living the Christian life, living the gospel from the heart. And it's a little bit of my contention today that that ultimate responsibility means that our task here as Christians is not ultimately to share the gospel but to live it from the heart.
Now, the word ultimately, of course, is significant because we should share the gospel. But the heart of Christian living is about the heart. It's about adorning the gospel with love. Our two woes today begin in verse 13. A woe about doors to the kingdom. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye that are ye them that are entering to go in. We have at first a formula. A statement that we will see at least in some form again and again. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now the term woe can simply be compassionate. But within the whole of Matthew 23, it seems more like it's a condemnation. That Jesus, the just judge, is coming with an announcement of their impending judgment. They're in coming soon condemnation. And he's going to explain why through these seven woes. He pulls out who the woes are to as scribes and Pharisees. The scribes are experts in the scripture. They study it, they read it, they write it out. They understand intellectually what's going on. And the Pharisees, as another group of religious leaders, ought to know the same. But the main charge, pull unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The word in the Greek behind hypocrite is actually basically just hypocrite. We've taken the Greek letters into English letters. But it refers primarily to one who acted in a play. And in order to act in a play would then put on a mask and pretend to be someone who wasn't. Now, the religious leaders are being described as these types of hypocritical pretenders. Putting on a mask and pretending to be something they aren't. But what I find so scary about the portrayal of these hypocritical Pharisees in Matthew is that it doesn't seem they know they're pretending. Seems they've pretended so well that they're deceiving not just others, but themselves. In fact, they might be deceiving themselves more than they deceive others. 
these scribes and Pharisees, hypocritical pretenders, are told first that they shut the kingdom of heaven against men. It's not what they claim to do. It's presumably not what they think they do. They treasure the scriptures because they believe that in them they have eternal life. They believe that their task is to open wide the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says they ultimately shut the kingdom of heaven against them. That they don't go in, nor do they suffer that is allow, nor do they allow those that would enter to go in. They are excited about going down the field with the basketball and throwing it in the net, but it's the wrong net. They're ultimately shutting the store because they're rejecting the teaching of Jesus. They're rejecting his identity. They aren't recognizing him as being the son of David who is David's Lord. Not recognizing him as being God the Son. In a human nature, ready to save his people from their sins. And they're judgmentally turning people away. They look at Jesus and how he eats with tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. And they can't imagine why a man of such integrity, a man of such reputation, would destroy the reputation by fraternizing with these sinners. Because they don't see a point. They want to shut them out. They aren't willing to open wide the doors. But this is in sharp contrast to our Lord, isn't it? They in their self-deception and pretending have shut the kingdom of heaven against men. But he opens the doors wide open. He opens the wars wide open when he dies on the cross for our sins and beckons for us to come. Come and accept salvation. Come and accept the fact that we aren't good enough and will never be good enough. That we can't put on a mask in order to deceive the Lord of our wickedness. But that Christ's righteousness is there. For us to clothe ourselves with, having all of our sins being placed upon Christ, bearing his, bearing our sin upon the cross. Trust, repentance, not taking any of our works as our hope but Christ's death and resurrection as our hope, and the doors of the kingdom of heaven are opened wide. 
the Pharisees continue with their misguided zeal. As Jesus comes in in verse 15 and now gives them a woe about hypocritical proselytization. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. As I've mentioned before, proselytization, or the fact of going across sea and land to make one proselyte, has to do with telling others about a particular religion in order to persuade them to join it. We don't tend to use that generic term. So we prefer the term evangelism. So we prefer that idea of announcing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's only Christianity that can use the term evangelism because it's only we who have that good news. The scribes and the Pharisees hypocritical pretenders as they are, are very zealous in their efforts of proselytization. They cross sea and land. They aren't letting obstacles get in the way. If we were to think about this reality in terms of the church's evangelistic efforts, or even just one person's evangelistic efforts, we'd have to say way to go, good zeal, good work. There doesn't seem to be any obstacle they're not willing to go down. That they could almost sing along, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, Yet, when they make that convert, when they make that proselyte, they make him twofold more the child of hell than themselves. They go above and beyond for the one convert. And that one convert ends up out Phariseeing the Pharisees. That one convert becomes twice as much a child of hell. Not a child of God, not a child of heaven, not a child as in a person destined for heaven and belonging to the kingdom of heaven but a child belonging to hell and destined for hell. Their proselytization ends up having the exact opposite effect of what they were hoping for.
on this verse, H.A. Ironside writes these words. It is characteristic of sectarians generally. They are far more concerned about obtaining adherence to their special beliefs than winning lost souls for Christ. It is harder to reach and awaken the adherence of a false cult than to bring a godless worldling to see his lost condition and his need of salvation. Ironside's point that he brings out is that one who's become a convert to a Christian-like religion will have little reason to think that he needs the gospel. Whereas the atheist can be easier to convince of that need he doesn't think he's already been saved by Christ. And the point can go further to say that it's easier to convince an atheist or one who doesn't believe or never had exposure to the gospel than someone who professes Christianity without possessing it. Than a Christian in name only or a nominal Christian regardless of how long that person has been involved with the gospel or even been in church. That's the danger that comes with this type of zeal, this type of proselytization, or in our case, this type of evangelism. So what are we supposed to do or, or think as we have this reality placed before us about these woes, this zeal that's misguided? Perhaps we start with the fact that the multitude and disciples are still present. Matthew 23, 1 says that he is, Jesus speaks to the multitude and the disciples and talks about the Pharisees. Now he seems to be talking to the Pharisees, but the crowd didn't disappear. Maybe we need to be thinking and ensuring that we're not letting the Pharisaical attitude of anyone else keep us from Christ. Can we be careful who or what we listen to and recognize the difference between Christ's easy yoke and the Pharisees' heavy one? That's more of the easy one for us to think through. Looking at other people, simple enough. Having to take the mirror of God's word, the perfect law of liberty, to our own hearts. It's harder. Harder. It's when it starts to hurt. 
The Pharisees shut the doors of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And as we argued in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, Christ seems to give us keys to the kingdom of heaven, to the church as a whole. And if there was a way for the Pharisees to, in some sense, possess the keys and shut the doors in people's faces, then it's possible for you and I to do the same. It's possible for us to unintentionally and perhaps with good uh, motivations cast people aside. And I was writing and preparing this sermon. Started counting on my fingers people that I've interacted with over my 28 years who struggle to go to church because of some bad past experience with the church and with Christians. And it took me about 30 seconds to have named eight. I don't know if there are any who struggle to come to church of those eight because of this church or because of me or because of any of you. But I know that there is a significant problem that we ought to take the time to make sure we're not a part of. To reflect on whether we're open like Jesus, welcoming people in, or pushing people out because of past lifestyle choices, or because of current lifestyle choices that won't change without the gospel of Jesus Christ. This in combination with the reality that teaching the gospel means nothing if we're not going to live it does create a little bit of a question. Something I had to think through and wrestle with. So what's the difference between a self-righteous hypocritical Pharisee and a Christian who still struggles with sin? What's the difference between me in an ideal state still struggling with sin and me as a Pharisee? The answer that I came through as I was thinking through and meditating upon that is that the answer is that the Pharisees don't know they struggle with sin. They might say with lip service, all are sinners, they don't have a knowledge of how they might be struggling in particular ways. The Christian instead is called to constant vigilance against our sin. To be constantly at guard and constantly killing sin before it kills us. 
we're called to pay careful attention to these things, to ourselves and the doctrine. This, that's what Timothy's called to. Paying careful attention, being vigilant against the possibility of sin entering in. The difference between a Pharisee and a Christian struggling with sin is that the Christian is struggling and the Pharisee is content and complacent. And if we're content and complacent with our sin, what type of gospel are we really proclaiming? type of gospel do we really proclaim to people if they look at us and say, that gospel never changed you? You say that your Savior died for your sin, but you seem to just engage in all the sin you want. You know, if you start looking you're going to find that the Bible doesn't talk about evangelism as much as we do in the 21st century. It almost seems like in the first century context, the Christians' lives were so different that people came to them with questions. And so Peter can say, be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. And this do with gentleness and fear. We should share the gospel. We should be intentional about serving him. But we also should be sure that we don't major on the minor. That we don't make these things the main thing when Jesus is not looking to see how much we've done for the church. But how we love him for all he's done for us. And that's the implication I'd like to end on. End on very hopeful news and very good news. Jesus, the righteous judge, he who has the key of David, that can open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open. He, who himself is the door and the way, the truth, and the life where no one comes to the Father, no one enters heaven without him, he doesn't shut the door in our face. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Those are Jesus' words, beckoning for us, all of us to come, in the way that he has made open by dying on the cross for us. He welcomes us all. He invites us all. And he opens the door for all with faith and repentance.
Father, it's a hard and beautiful thing to think about the ways in which the Pharisees fell off their good intentions and did more harm than good. We ask, Lord, that you would help us today to rightly respond to your goodness and grace and to rightly adorn the gospel, to love you for what you have done for us in Christ and have that reality of relationship be at the core of what we do. And so, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Pastoria of Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things?